Don't be ashamed to learn things that you need to know. Here's Sexplanations with Dr. Doe. Sexplanations podcast, episode 68. This is about gender maps and some of the confusion I have around understanding new language where we've come from, where we might go, how little or how much we try to know. I am joined by Blake, a friend of mine from Michigan, visiting Missoula, Montana, to help me out with all things in life. Hi, Blake. <laughs> Hello. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Yeah? This is exciting for me. Good. It's mm. exciting for me as well. And I hope that we have fun for the next 45 minutes to an hour. Me too. That's I do my love, objective. I do love talking about gender, so I think we'll be good. You think so? I hope so. Great. Do you <laughs> Take the mic. It's all you. <laughs> you just talk for the next 45 minutes and I will happily listen. Let's give a shout out to this Explanations podcast patrons at patreon.com slash Explanations podcast, Donna, Paul, Ben, and the Millers. Thank you all. All right. So what... Do you know about gender? Um, that it's very complicated. Yes. <laughs> and that the more, I think the more I talk about it and the more we talk about it, it like only gets more complicated. What makes you a good person to listen to <laughs> on the topic? <laughs> um, I am a trans person. I identify as F to M or female to male. Um, and I also do a lot of education uh, and support for college-age students uh, who are LGBTQ+, but especially those who are trans and non-binary. And so I try to keep up to date via the youth. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I also, like, having gone through, like, being a person who's transitioned and um, who has lived in a lot of different gendery ways, hopefully makes me understand gender a little bit better. I think it does. Yeah. I have found spending time with you over the last... Has it only been a day? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, the last day, how gendered language is, like how often I'll say guys or man or girls grew up like this or just so many gendered aspects of my conversations that I don't think I recognized until you were there as kind of this like bird watching me. I'm like, oh whoa, that is a thing. I bet that thing could be offensive or I bet that thing is curious, et cetera. I have no memory of you doing that, so you've been good. Whatever you were stressed <laughs> out about, <laughs> you didn't need to stress out about. Or you repressed it. Well, there. so I was reading to you in the car yesterday mm -hmm. on our way. Uh, we were driving to the river, and um, you and I were both passengers in this vehicle, and I was reading from a book about relationships, and I remember the person talking about women this and men this. And I I had been reading the book for days before you got here and never felt this sense of like, God, this is so cis. Yeah, and just binary. Yeah, binary and um, this idea of like the people who identify as women have – these parts, obviously, and people who identify as men have these parts and these troubles with their performance that's sex that looks like this in this one way. And uh, I didn't put together how annoying it must be to be in a world and not have your experience of it recognized or shown very often. Yeah, it can be. Uh, I think the, the piece about um, 
Like we we know we talk a lot. I think about the fact that like there we assume that body parts for gender, but I think it's that like life experience piece we don't talk about enough. Okay, tell me more. So like for me to talk about being a kid, I kind of have to out myself. Interesting. So like I was talking this morning. Actually, we were talking yesterday or this morning about sports. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my primary sport was softball. Mm-hmm. In high school, like I was in varsity softball in high school, mm-hmm. which like automatically is like super gendered. Yeah, um, what? Oh, I was gosh. in I was in Girl Scouts until I graduated high school. Wow. But then, like, boy. <laughs> so, Blake, something that I've also noticed in spending time with you is how gracefully you move through those spaces, and you remove. The power of uncertainty. So, for example, you immediately like talk about your experience and own your experience, and you use the words that you are comfortable with. And it and right, like off the bat, you, yeah. you say, "I'm a trans man." Right? Boom, yep. it's done, and it removes any uncertainty that people might have in situations about, like, wait, why is he talking about being in softball, or yeah. why is he talking about being Girl Scouts? Because you have already painted the picture as it is with yeah. full acceptance and have modeled. Yeah, I try to I try to do that. On, I do that on purpose. Um, and I try to insert me being trans into conversations in a super casual way so that, so that I'm communicating that it's not a big deal. And I think I'm also trying to communicate that it's not necessarily something that I'm like struggling with in that moment. Like that, mm. that that's a comfortable conversation for me to have. And so I just like drop it into sentences. Um, it can also be a little bit disarming on purpose. Um, and so where people, if they're like not really paying attention, especially in like an educational setting, if people aren't really paying attention or if they are going off on something that doesn't really have to do with what we are talking about, uh, I'll like slip being trans in at that point. And so people are just like, wait, what, what, how, what? <laughs> what? Um, you know, I think, and part of the decision to like start with that, I think, comes from passing better than I ever thought I would, mm-hmm. and not ever being perceived as female in like five years. And so, in order for people to know that I'm trans, like I have to tell them, and I didn't know that that was going to be a thing before. Like, I just, it didn't seem like a thing that would ever happen. Um, and so I was always planning on talking about it a lot forever because I thought I was going to have to. And then once I realized I didn't have to, like it didn't change how important stuff was to me or the fact that that's where my skill set was. And so I just adapted to where I like start there. Okay. So if I can unpack that, I think what you're saying is that when you first decided to transition, you thought that having the conversation about your gender was going to be something you had to do frequently, that you were yeah. going to have to be an educator for yourself and others. Yeah, and, and I still do, but it, I think I thought I was going to – I thought I would be perceived as female or at least be confusing to people for a long time or forever. And it was important for you to not be, so you planned on communicating it. But then you ended up being read – as masculine yeah. and not having to have any of those, con- like you would never have to tell anyone. Correct. But because those conversations are still really important to you and education is important to you, you do it anyway. Yes, exactly. And also because it's, it's 
I enjoy it. It's it's super safe for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a job where I'm very much protected. I have good people in my life. I am white and I'm tall and I'm relatively like large of a, a person. Mm-hmm. And so I can be physically intimidating kind of if I need to be. Uh, like in general, like I, I can talk about being trans on a podcast or on a explanations episode and then not walk out the door and be scared for my safety. And that's not the case for most trans people. And so I want to talk about it because other people can't. Um, and because like I'd rather people ask me questions because I love answering them than asking other trans people who did not sign up for that. Yay! Yeah, I guess I want to take the burden off my babies. Yeah, you're a hero in that way. That's I a try. big deal. I try. It also, though, sometimes means that people are only hearing from like a white passing transmasculine person with a ton of privilege. Mm. Um, and so that's a balance of trying to like lift up and pull up other voices. Uh, but in general, when when people have questions. I usually say two things. I'm just like, I'm glad you asked me and not like the random trans person you ran into at Starbucks because they did not, they're not literally getting paid to answer your question. And I usually am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I say all the time is that Google is free. And so like people don't need to be asking trans people questions that they could Google, but there are questions that you can't Google like any, because if it was Googleable, people wouldn't have to ask the question. I think like yesterday I was talking about, like having surgery versus like accepting your body and saying like, I'm trans, like I am this gender, even though I have these body parts, Mm -hmm. those things aren't Googleable. Like you have to actually hear from trans people about why that's not really how it works for a lot of us versus like, what does surgery look like for you is pretty Googleable. Yeah, some more nuanced conversations. Well, and also people have unique experiences there. And if I'm looking specifically for your experience, then it's helpful to ask you. But I I think that that's one of the earlier lessons that I got just in talking about gender as a whole is maybe ask these things to people who have shared them online and not to people directly. And then my approach has always been to hold space where people who are willing to talk to them are connected with the curious so that they can have the dialogue. But that's something that's consensual. Yeah. And I think it's just for a lot of trans people that that consent piece isn't there. That like unless you have a job like mine where you're getting paid to talk about this all the time and it's Mm -hmm. wonderful, like you're still getting asked about it and talking about it all the time. It's just you're trying to do something else at the same time. Right. But this way... I just kind of get to own it. Good on you. I actually feel similarly about being a sexologist. When I don't tell people what I do, there's this, um, this just, they'll say, right? Like, oh, what do you do for a living? And oh, I'm an educator. What do you teach? And then I could say anthropology, the department that I used to teach for, or From the get-go, I could say, I'm a sexologist, and here's what that is, and I'm going to show you how comfortable I am with it, and you're not going to get anywhere near hurting me because I'm so secure in my identity. And then they read that. That is modeled to them, and we go from there. And there's no awkwardness, actually, at all because I have grounded myself. Yeah, that's pretty much why I do the same thing. Every once in a while, 
I'll feel unsafe enough to where I do the thing you just said, where I'll be like, oh, I do diversity work or, oh, I work for a university and then not add that piece in. But it's very rare Mm. for that to happen for me. But it does every once in a while. Yeah. Which doesn't actually help because if I am like, oh, I do diversity stuff, people are looking at me and they're like, how? (laughs) Like what? (laughs) You, the white (laughs) slender man (laughs) with... (laughs) Thick black glasses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like okay. the stock photo IT guy, I think yeah, is what I yeah. said the other day. <laughs> but that's important too. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called hegemony, right? Hegem- hegemony. Yeah. Hegemony. When the dominant population or the dominant group, the majority or whatever, they aren't questioned or examined. Yeah. And so they remain dominant. And so I always think that it's so great when those groups of people talk about their own experiences where they examine themselves and say, why are some people white? Why are some people men? Yeah. Why are some people straight? Yeah. Because all the the answers come to the same conclusion. They're just done differently. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what do you think about the words gender and sex and biosex and anatomy what do you think about language oh so many thoughts um so gender is one of the hardest things to define i think like at least within the scope of what i do okay i haven't really figured out a way to define gender that doesn't include the word gender or like gender identity specifically definitions for gender identity always have the word gender in them do you want to know the shortcut we used in human sexuality yes Sex is between your legs and gender is between your ears. Yes. <laughs> yes, and people are like, gender is blah, blah, blah. Like, between your ears isn't always enough of an answer. Right. And it's oversimplified. Yeah. It's like when I was trying to say that the only definition I liked for cis is not trans. And, and you're I just said, like, no, that's not, an, that's not a thing. And I'm like, but, but, that, but it is. What about non-binary? What about genderqueer? What about agender? And I'm just like, yes. Because <laughs> in my head, that's all that those groups weren't being excluded. But right. um, yeah, gender is really hard to define, I think. Because if you think about like, it's like your role in society based on a division of how people do things. Like there's, you know, like how, mm. you know, you know there's, it's hard to tie it. Like gender is just such a fluffy kind of concept, I think, sometimes that it's like hard to even explain, but it doesn't mean that, that you don't feel it intensely. Mm-hmm. And so it's confusing. Cause you're like, oh, I can't yeah. even put words to this, but I f- have so many feelings about it, mm-hmm. but not words, which can be frustrating. Well, I hope that that is the dialogue that's ongoing for everyone. Me too. So right now, I think there are a lot of different schools of thought on gender, right? That there's no such thing as gender where you have thinking behaviors, psyche, et cetera, that may or may not be associated with a binary system of anatomy. Uh-huh. Like th- that idea that we are polarized in any way, expressing our psyche doesn't even exist. It's not real. Right. And then there's the school of thought that there's a different gender for every person, mm-hmm. right? So we, what it, what is the saying? We... Gender is a universe and we are all stars or each of us is a star. 
Yeah. And then those would be the two poles. But in between those is the continuum or the spectrum of thought about like, okay, I have these ideas about gender or these or these or these. Yeah. I think what's challenging is that like, I think that all of those things are basically true, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they can necessarily exist at the same time. <laughs> like saying there's no gender and infinite genders is like itself, like it can't, just by the how the, what those words mean, it can't both exist, but I feel like they both are a thing. Well, it's like theism and atheism existing at the same time because they're, they're just two different mindsets. They're beliefs that people have and constructs that we've created with human minds to express the world as we experience it. I also think, I remember from like feminist theory class, being nervous about what it would mean for us to, as like a whole society, to be like, oh, gender's not a thing. And Ooh. what that would mean for trans people. What does like, it mean? already existing. I would worry it would mean lack of access to transition-related care. Because if gender doesn't exist, then a like, quote-unquote, mismatch between gender and sex wouldn't be able to exist. So then like... But there wouldn't be a quote-unquote mismatch. But I don't think you... But those feelings would still exist in people because they existed before we had the language. But then so they it would, would exist be, after the language. Would we call it cosmetic surgery? I mean, it's already called cosmetic surgery, unfortunately. Um, what's a better word than cosmetic surgery? Where it's not related to gender, but it's related to dysphoria. I don't know. That's where I get stuck. <laughs> um, like, yeah, dys- dysphoria surgery? I guess, yeah. But that kind of is, isn't that like most or all of plastic surgery, if you really like think about it? Like people are very unhappy with something, and so they change it. Yes. And that's not okay? No, it is. For you to associate with? It is. And it's already who does our surgeries. It just feels different. Mm. But I don't know how. And that's where I don't have words. But it might not be that different. I don't know. Someone out there who is more familiar with sociology or psychology probably has the word to describe when we are kind of exclusionary with our experiences. Like, for example, I might say, oh, gosh, I really don't like it when people remove parts of their bodies or they feel like they have to change to be okay. Like, that's actually really hard for me, even though I think it's totally valid to do whatever you need to do to self-actualize. And then I turn it in on myself and I look, okay, I paid a lot of money to straighten my teeth or I um, pluck my unibrow or I buy clothes that cost a lot and I get them from this part of the department store, not this part of the department, or I get them from all parts of the department store. And that's consider gender bending like there's language to describe it all and also a lot of effort put into changing form and so what I want to be careful about is not saying like oh my version of that is okay but their version isn't okay yeah I think all the versions are equally okay it's just that some people's so like you can like walk into an orthodontist 
and be like, I want braces. And they're like, yes, please. We want you to have braces. That gets us money and also you get the thing you want. It's a win-win. Okay. But then for trans people, it's like, hey, I would like to not have ovaries anymore. And it's like, okay, but here's the 20 steps you have to take to do that. And you have to like prove yourself and, and spend a whole bunch of money to prove yourself and then find a surgeon who's willing to do it and then convince them that you're not too young or too old or Well, then that's the problem. I don't think the problem is calling it – we could just call it surgery, right? We don't mm-hmm. have to call it cosmetic surgery and we don't have to call it gender affirmation surgery yeah. because in, in this hypothetical world <laughs> we're talking about gender doesn't exist. Yeah. Gender doesn't exist and you choose autonomously to remove your ovaries with the help of a surgeon, yeah. a surgeon not on your own, then like that's – done like yeah i think and that it's one of those things that it is really great for trans people and also is good for a lot of other people so like especially with being able to access the surgeries that you want or need because you want or need them not because somebody else thinks you want or need them yeah so like when i went to get a hysterectomy they actually had to bill it as a gender-related procedure because if they tried to run it through insurance not as a trans thing it was going to get rejected because I was too young. And so, Whoa. like, a cis woman my age wouldn't be allowed to have that procedure. But because I tied it to gender, I was. Oh, see, discrimination. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to be on that side of it as, <laughs> like, a trans person. Like, it's weird to be like, oh, actually, like, we have access to something yeah. and other people don't. But also to get to that point, I had to have two letters from two different therapists like, confirming that I was trans in these, like, very specific ways mm-hmm. um, and had to have been on hormones already and had to find – luckily, luckily, the doctor who prescribes my hormones also does hysterectomies. And so I didn't have to search for a doctor. Um, but I also keep lists of surgeons mm-hmm. as part of my job. So, like, I had <laughs> options. But – for a lot of people, it's, okay, I got to find and pay for a therapist. I got to find and pay for another therapist, hoping that they know what, a like, a surgery letter is because mm-hmm. most don't or how to write it, which most don't, hoping that they do it correctly, hoping they actually send it, it being really hard to hold them accountable if they don't, being really hard to hold them accountable if they just are like, nope, I'm not going to learn how to do that for you, mm-hmm. trying to pay for all that therapy if it's not covered, trying to find a surgeon actually having surgery, it usually not being covered by insurance unless you're very lucky like me. It's just a lot. It's just a lot. Well, luckily we are uh, afforded more years to live and keep problem solving all of this. Because if it is that gender doesn't exist or if it is that there are infinite genders, I think that there are ways for people to access the changes in their bodies that they want mm-hmm. that are just fair they're fair yes and they're not segregated yeah or super binary because mm-hmm. a lot of the like letter process for hormones and and surgery is is just in the last couple of years it's gotten a little better but overall it's very binary like you're kind of having to prove that you're masculine enough or feminine enough to like meet the criteria for gender dysphoria and so it's a bit like performative of a process as well just to try to figure that out um unless you're somebody like me who already knew the criteria 
Do you know it off the top of your head? No. No, I don't. We can look them up, though. Yeah, let's look it up. Let's see. Let's see how I rank in gender dysphoria. What am I typing here? Gender. Gender dysphoria, DSM-5. DSM, Diagnostic Statistical Manual, 5. Okay. The American Psychiatric Association permits a diagnosis of gender dysphoria if the criteria in the DSM-5 are met. The DSM-5 states that at least two of the following criteria for gender dysphoria must be experienced for at least six months duration in adolescents or adults for diagnosis. Already, I'm so fascinated. Because two is not that many for a lot no. of the classifications in the a DSM. Lot of them are more. Yeah, and I didn't realize it was only two. But I also got diagnosed before it was gender dysphoria. Um, so mine was gender identity disorder, DSM 4TR. Yeah. Okay. So here are the criteria. Yeah. Criterion? Criterion sure. is single. <laughs> the talking not come so good right now. <laughs> a strong desire to be of a gender other than one's assigned gender. A strong desire to be of a gender other than one's assigned gender. So I am assuming that's assigned girl, raised girl, all that stuff. I don't have a strong desire to be other than that. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel non-binary, genderqueer, agender, trans, male, boy, man, any of that. Okay. A strong desire to be treated as a gender other than one's assigned gender. I mean, (laughs) yes. Absolutely. That would be so nice. Oh, right. And it is. Actually, let me rephrase that. It is super nice. Like it going from not having male privilege ever to having it most of the time. Big perks. Big perks. Yeah. I mean, I love things like um, what are some of my gendered privileges? Being on bottom during sex. Like, yes, I can be on top, and I'm totally on top. I Like, I will do it. But I love <laughs> being on the bottom. Um, I love having the door open for me. I love having car problems or lifting heavy thing problems and playing a gender car for yeah. sure. And I do. Like, I recognize that my center of gravity is in my waist rather than in my shoulders. And so I, I'm totally like, okay – you look like your center of gravity is in your shoulders, so, so that paddle, thing paddle, is for paddle, you. I'm going to sit on the back of the boat like a princess. <laughs> yes. Or with mechanics. That is definitely something that we gender in society. And also I think it's dirty, and I have a vagina, and I want to keep it clean. So I got to keep my hands clean, got to clean my vagina clean, and I don't want your grease in the thing. Okay, good. Yeah, I yeah. also don't want to get dirty and know nothing about fixing that stuff. Which can, like, be complicated. Like, it's not, I don't get have that card anymore. <laughs> so, like, I had to learn how to do stuff. Oh, gosh, yeah. we're so manipulative. Mm-hmm. But in a lot of ways, I don't want to be treated like my gender. Like, catcalled, um, paid less, expected to do things out of the kindness of my heart because I'm a nurturing woman. Um So there's so many. Definitely being a mom, I think, is harder than being a dad. Yeah. Yeah. I think the expectations for being a mom are definitely harder than the expectations for being a dad. Yeah. Yes. Certainly. 
I don't think that qualifies me for gender dysphoria, but it it's a fascinating thing to yeah. talk about. Okay, so the third one. A significant incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender and one's sexual characteristics. And then sexual characteristics is hyperlinked here so that we can see it means physical or behavioral traits of an organism which are indicative of its biological sex. These can include sex organs used for reproduction and secondary sex characteristics which distinguish the sexes of a species but are not directly part of the reproductive uh, it cuts off, but I'm assuming system. So a significant incongruence between one's experienced or expressed gender, which still for me is feminine, female, woman, and one's sexual characteristics. No. Like in our society, at least, we say breasts, no matter how small and uh, vulva and uterus and all of those things are lady parts. Yeah. Which is too bad. Yeah. It's a little unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. It makes talking about a lot of stuff just logistically challenging and also just like doctors and trying to like have conversations about like my own body and having people make assumptions about like what body parts I have. Then it's also complicated because of like what other people might call a body part might not be what I'm comfortable calling it or what another trans person is comfortable calling it. Okay. So for example, you, you might need a pelvic exam. Yeah. Whereas other people who look like men mm -hmm. don't. Correct. And you might say, hey, that is, that's my vulva. Mm -hmm. Or you just hit my clit too hard because you feel comfortable with those anatomical terms. But someone who has the same body parts would prefer them to be called something different like my phallus or my yeah. peen or... Yeah, or dick or whatever. Yeah, I tend to try to avoid all of the words, <laughs> which gets really hard because, like, I don't love, like, calling it a clit and I don't love saying dick. Like, I haven't found a thing that I feel good about saying for my own body. Ooh. And so I just, like, try to avoid it. <laughs> but that becomes very difficult. Yeah, for me, the, the like, I, I used to get a lot of... UTI symptoms mm -hmm. and I would have symptoms for a few days I would go take a test it would be negative and then they would give me antibiotics anyways and then usually it would go away but not always and so I was at urgent care a lot having to explain a lot because if it's UTI like they need to know where my urethra is located mm -hmm. and they would assume that it wasn't there mm -hmm. uh, and so I would get directions like do you know how to do a clean catch like wipe the tip of your penis and I'm just like well <laughs> That's not, wow. that's not helpful directions. Yeah. And right there, that is something that I take for granted because I go in and they teach me how to do a clean catch using my anatomical terms. Yep. And it's like, boop, 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 whatever. Yeah. And, oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that one was, a, I was like, oh, yeah, that's not, that's not directions. And luckily I'd done a million samples mm -hmm. before, so I didn't need the directions. Um but like every every doctor's office, they ask you what prescriptions you're on, and so I always write testosterone. And uh, I had an urgent care doctor one time. He, I had written all over the gender part of the form too, because <laughs> like I had insurance was female, but my license said male, and then 
like my body, I, I was there for a UTI, and so I needed them to understand mm-hmm. that I had a vulva in the first place. Uh, and so I wrote all over the place, and then I wrote testosterone, and I think I even might have put somewhere that it was because of gender. And then the doctor comes in, he was like, oh, so you're on testosterone, were you just born with, like, small testicles or something? <laughs> I was like, no, no, that is not, no. And I was like, no, I was, I, was, um, I think I said I was born female. And he was like, oh, like, normally female? Like, totally normal? And I was like, yeah. Go back to med school <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I don't get to just go to any urgent care. Like, I have my urgent care yeah. that I go to where they don't do that. So, so you I, have your urgent care doctor. Yes. There's an urgent care that I go to when I need to go to urgent care, and I won't go to any other ones. Um, it used to be really convenient to get there, and then I moved. Mm-hmm. And now I'll still drive <laughs> to go to that one because they've. N- it's just never been a problem. I found a dentist that was queer, which was really exciting because I didn't have to ex- like I didn't feel weird explaining insurance stuff or past records. Like anytime someone has to get my past medical records, there's a conversation. Wow. My immunization records are in my name. Wow. When they look up my birthday for for immunizations, they're like, "Did you have like a twin or something?" <laughs> I'm like, "No." It me. <laughs> it me. Wow. Um, All sorts of – I think that when I'm doing Sexplanations YouTube episodes, I am aware of things like that and try to use inclusive language. At least I hope so. Tell me if I'm wrong. But it in day-to-day life is harder to recognize the society or mm-hmm. the – like how much normativity is put on – being cisgender, heterosexual, monogamous, et cetera. Yeah. I think it's like if people thought about it every time they filled out a form like we do, that I think it would we would be having a very different conversations and be in a very different place with like people understanding what trans people what it, what trans people go through and kind of like what it feels like on a day-to-day basis. Cause it's like think about how many times you mark a gender on a form. And if you don't notice how often you do it, like you should. Because we do. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay, here's the next one. A strong desire for the sexual characteristics of a gender other than one's assigned gender. Sexual characteristics. So do I desire like chest hair and a ball sack and a penis? I mean, I do, but I wouldn't (laughs) say it's a strong desire. Like it sounds really fun to play with. See, having... A penis sounds so inconvenient to me. Because it's, yeah, yeah. Like, I've, I've literally sat, like, cis friends down, and I'm just like, where do you put this thing <laughs> on a daily basis? <laughs> like, I'm just like, I just sit down, and I'm like, yep, I'm good. Like, I can't imagine, like, I don't even really like wearing a packer, because I'm just like, why would I have something there when I could not? <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, like, that just seems inconvenient. Yeah. And, like, boners you don't want? No, thank you. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. Well, and I was reading about phalloplasties, and the so there's pumps and rods, and this person was talking about choosing a rod system because they would have a semi, like a, a quasi-boner all the time, and they liked feeling that there. And so, yeah, there, there are systems where you are really packing a ton in the front of your body. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, whether it's like buying a packer or getting fallow, uh, or any, or even like getting dildos for sex. I think people that the like 
porn expectations of like penis size seep in a lot because I think a lot of us are trying mm. really hard to like feel masculine enough for ourselves or to feel like male enough for ourselves or however it is we think about it. And so we'll get like a huge packer or a huge dick and just be like, haha, I have a huge dick. But then it's like <laughs> trying to walk around. I'm just like, oh my God, like this is the, this is the worst. Yeah. Well, keep me posted. It's fascinating. I love learning from other people, their thoughts on all of it. I don't have a strong desire for those things, but, you know, sometimes it's fun to fantasize for half an hour with a boner. Uh, A strong desire to be rid of one's sexual characteristics due to incongruence with one's experienced or expressed gender. No, not that. I I mean, a yeast infection makes me want to cut my vagina out, but... That's not because of my gender. Yeah. A strong conviction that one has the typical reactions and feelings of a gender other than one's assigned gender. That one is the one that fascinates me. A strong conviction that one has the typical reactions and feelings of a gender other than one's assigned gender. Yeah. So I always read that as like the the scholarly version of somebody having like a boy brain and a girl body. It's like they feel like they're more like a different gender in terms of like how they think and what they like. So in the old criteria, Mm -hmm. one of the things, I think at least for kids, one of the things was like if you were assigned female at birth, one of the criteria was like being like into boy stuff or having friends that were boys or like acting like a boy, I think is what was, how it was phrased. And then they kind of changed it over to this so that it was less problematic, but it just got but it's more not, vague. And my hackles are up because, yes, there are reactions that we typify and uh-huh. feelings that we project belonging to a certain gender, but that's the problem. The problem yeah. is that we delineate between and create this fake binary. Maybe it's partially there, but we dramatize it. Yeah. I think it's definitely more learned than we think it is. Yeah. Because I think people are like, oh, he's a, like, they have a baby boy. And they're like, oh, he's going to, like, do all the sports and do all the stuff. And then you have someone like my brother who he he did not want to do sports at all. He just, like, wants to play music and, like, be a huge nerd. And he's great at it. (laughs) And he's, like, a six-foot-five huge dude who just was like, why would I play football? I want to play drums. And we don't think of him as like, nobody's ever been like, oh, so you're not a dude. Yeah. Mm. This is hard stuff. It is hard stuff. And I'm thinking a lot about the things that I want to change, but we'll get there with Mm -hmm. this extra credit. In addition to the condition, wait, in addition, the condition must be associated with clinically significant distress or impairment. So you could have all of those things, and if it's not bothering you, then... Whatever. Correct. The DSM-5 moved this diagnosis out of the original sexual disorders category and into a category of its own. The International Classification of Diseases, or ICD-10, lists several disorders related to gender identity, transsexualism, gender identity disorder of childhood, and then it goes on. I'm thinking about what I said around, like, sex roles, gender roles of liking to be on the bottom yeah, and that is stuff that I want to push against so even though it that thinking serves me like "Mm, uh, 
be the princess is also not helpful to the way that I portray myself in the world and model to others what I want the world to be like. Yeah, I think progress to me would include that criteria not making sense anymore or like not being there anymore. Because uh, in terms of gender, I think that's also the thing that I am most like, let's fix this. And part of that is just like choosing which parts of masculinity to adopt and which not to adopt. Mm. And like not choosing, choosing to not adopt the things that I see as more harmful while also like feeling okay with gender and being read how I want to be read and, um, but also not feeling compelled to take on the parts of like masculinity that can be toxic. Yeah. And I think you'll, like you see some, some trans folks struggle with that a lot to where they, like trans people can totally be misogynistic because we often like adopt misogyny from cis men as a way to try to be read as cis men or be respected by cis men. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, can we not though? <laughs> like that is like the, the last thing I want to do is adopt the things that I'm fighting against. Yeah. But it's not the, it's, it's harder than it sounds, I think. And part of it's just like, once you get privileged, like you can't unhave it. And so like male privilege stuff still happens, even if I don't want it to. And then like I can choose a lot of things, but not everything. Yeah. Like even though I try to not seem threatening in any way, like I'm still a decently sized person. Okay. So if you could map all of this out, right? <laughs> if we we thought of gender or or just human beings mm. as a landscape and we were trying to teach the next generation where the the roads and rivers and mountains are, where would you plot things? How would you want them to look? Oh, that's a fascinating question. To some extent, I'm on the side of like, screw it, don't have a map. Where you're like, gender just shouldn't exist. Mm. Um, I would rather, like, I think for me, like, I would want to pick apart, like, things we consider masculine, things we consider feminine, and just kind of lay them out in a random way and just be like, collect all the things that you want. Or, like, collect all of the things that are your core values or what you would be in an ideal world and then just be them and then call yourself what feels comfortable to call yourself. And so, like, I, it's just as important for me to be caring and compassionate and a listener as it is for me to be, like, a confident public speaker and an extrovert most of the time and competitive, like things that are seen as masculine. So maybe even just removing the categorization of some as feminine and some as masculine so that we're not separating them into a binary system and we're just like words, characteristics, traits. Yeah, humans. Have them. (laughs) Yeah, I was watching on the the plane here, I was watching the Mr. Rogers documentary. Mm. And it's so good. Um, But they were talking about how because Mr. Rogers was seen as like a soft, gentle, kind, almost like docile human, Mm -hmm. that people immediately were just like, oh, he must be gay. Oh. Mm -hmm. Or that's some kind of like 
fraud. People would either say, oh, he, he can't actually be like that. That's put on. Or he is like that and therefore he's gay. Are these people who were children when... I think it's adults whose children were watching it okay. probably. Because as a child, I don't ever remember reading him as either of those things. No, I just was like, how sweet <laughs> and calm. Yeah. And that's what I want, just sweet and calm. Mm, I like it. Mm-hmm. I think the characteristics that I would pull from just the, these piles of note cards with words on them that I imagine rather than two columns are empathetic, understanding, curious for sure, mm-hmm. uh, ambitious, thoughtful, convicted. Convicted the right word? I don't know, but I, that I, I also need that one. With conviction? Yeah. Having conviction? <laughs> Not conviction of crimes, but... Um, courageous. Those would, yeah. those would be the ones I'll take. Well, and that, to, to go to, like, the video that we're supposed to be talking about, uh, that's basically kind of, like, the list you get with the BEM sexual, sex role inventory. Mm, is Because you yeah. have, like, a, a masculine column, a feminine column, and then, like, a neutral column. And I was taking a version of it after watching that video, and it wasn't... Somebody had, like, stolen a PDF, and so it didn't have the coding of, like, which column was which. Mm-hmm. Like, it actually was took me a while to figure out which Ooh. column was which because some of the words that were neutral, I was like, oh, that's super masculine or super feminine. And some of the words in masculine and feminine, I was like, that's not masculine or feminine to me. Yeah. And also I got like neutral leaning feminine, I think, when I took it. Interesting. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> yeah. Fine. Because the words that I was saying no to on like the masculine column, I'm just like, like aggressive or harsh or things that I just have no interest in. Interesting. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, I think earlier in my life it would have felt invalidating for it to show up like neutral, slightly feminine. But then after shaking it, I was like, one, this is whack. And two, like, yeah, that's fine. Well, it's also from the 70s. And I think that our gendered systems have actually swapped so that the things that were masculine then are feminine now and the things that are were feminine then are masculine now. Like what? Because I have had masculine friends take it and they come out as feminine and I've taken it and I come out as masculine. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Right? <laughs> so I have a bunch of sex to credit assignments that yes. are tumbling around in my brain. Assignments are not always bad, so here's some sex credit. Um, one is to think about the terminology that feels comfortable and positive to describe your own body, like your anatomical reproductive structures. Yep. Because even, I think for everybody, that's mm-hmm. tricky. Like, ah, the word pussy for me doesn't feel good, but it's easy to say. I love cunt, but do people receive it the way that I intend for them to? Um Anyway, words like that. Yeah. Then the other assignment that I wanted to give is to think about all of the characteristic words and just determine maybe six of them that you feel are fitting to you and then kind of do the inverse of it where you you think of those six and then try to put them in a binary system because for me when I do that, then I have to think, okay – this is a part of me, uh, let's say, for example, do- being domineering. Is that 
something that I identify as masculine and feminine and then why and just yeah. unpacking it until you get to the very last why that you can come up with. Yeah. I think the why question is super important. Yeah. That um, Robin Oaks talks about that with like identity and mm-hmm. saying like I identify as this because of this. And I was like, whoa. Mm. I just, because what I've told people before is like sit in front of a mirror and say words until one of them feels less crappy. Because <laughs> that's kind of what I did. Like I would just sit in my car and just be like, lesbian, nope, mm-mm, bye, <laughs> nope. Um, until I eventually got to things where I was just like, oh, that didn't feel as wrong. Oh. And so like I tell people to do that. I tell students to do that sometimes. Just like try out words. But then I think after that, a like, because or why can be really helpful. Because, like, I can totally explain, like, why I use FDM instead of trans man. (sighs) I like it. Okay, so here's what we'll do. In the description of this episode, this extra credit will all be explained, and I'll put a link to maybe something Blake will write about (laughs) his decision to choose his words. Um, All right, last thing that we have on the list to do is kegels. Feel your kegels if you're able. Main squeeze. Yes. <laughs> yes. How would you like to do them? Ooh, I don't know. There are so many fun options. Do you want a ping pong? So I can do a kegel and I'll like send my groin energy to you with a word about my identity. Like compassionate for example and then you can take that energy to to your in your <laughs> groin and then you can pop it back to me and say a word and we'll just go we'll like do five words each perfect i usually am driving when i listen to this yeah and so i'm like oh i don't have to be operating a vehicle at the same time this is much easier <laughs> Officer, I'm really sorry because I'm listening to this explanations podcast. I was doing, I was doing kegels and driving. Yeah, what? Don't worry about it. Oh, that's funny. Okay, um, silly. Compassionate. I'm holding my kegel until you send it back to me. By the way. Um, smart. Brave. Awkward. Loud. Flexible. Determined. Imaginative. Uh, I already said compassionate because I was going to say caring. I'm going to just make you keep holding it. I am. I am so uh, holding it right now. Smart. Um, I had one in my head and now I can't remember it. Fun. I was trying to think of, uh, I was going to say educator E, <laughs> but that's all I got. <laughs> educator E? Yeah. Educational? Yeah, there you go. 
Informative? Yeah. Okay. Um, this will be my last one. Content. Funny. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast, Blake. Thank you for having me on the podcast, Lindsay. <laughs> Thanks also to Callie and Cinema Studios and Complexly and Count Boogie and Cora and Parle. I'm still learning.